welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by Tony. If you want to know if something's true, who are you going to call Mythbusters? <laughs> That's right. Tonight we're doing the second, our second episode of DM Mythbusters. We're going to do, and tonight we're going to do it on, I don't know, Dave, do you have another song for the... Uh, for it's the, for the my party one? and I'll cry if I want to, cry if I want to. <laughs> I want to. It's my party. Yeah. Would you cry That's, too if it happened to you? Uh, depending on how we how we discuss this, yes, it, it's Maybe. very possible. I, depending I, on the I, kind of party people bring me to my table, I might cry. I, I feel I, like I want to cry a little bit because Storm King's Thunder is coming to an end. Dave's playing a bard. He hasn't sang for us one time in game, and he hasn't seduced anybody. I, I'm like I'm beside myself. <laughs> I am uh, I am pairing a very a very specific type of bard, and I'll tell you the truth. The original uh, idea of Roderick was mainly because he's a lore bard. My idea was that he was going, and based on Vincent Price, obviously from the house, fall of the House of Usher, um, he was really supposed to be more of like a prose, poetic, historical, maybe stanzas. Not like the singing loop. Now, I got a loot and I sing because, you know, it just happens in game, right? But I wasn't really playing up the angle of the minstrel as much. Um, he was really, he um, initially going to be very serious and very, he was going to be like the Chris Nolan universe of uh, bards. You're like, you're like, I'm doing a prose bard. And the DM's like, here, have a magic loot. Here's a loot. Play, <laughs> play. Fucker, play. <laughs> Dance for me, monkey. Dance. It was in your picture. I felt contractually obligated. That's true. Uh, he, did, he did play a loop in the movie, though, so I accepted that. You know. So, and now before we get too far lost in the yes. games that, that that are that are somewhat wrapping up, we'll see. I bet we're doing more with these characters. So today's episode, though, is going to be about if it's your party, doesn't matter. If they're imbalanced. So from the Mythbusters point of view, the myth is the myth we're taking on tonight. Is it true that your player party needs to be balanced in order for you to have a good, fun, successful campaign? Or is this a myth? Can you make it work even with an unbalanced campaign? Should the DM care what the players play? Does it even matter if their characters come together? And that's what we're going to be discussing tonight. Our second in our DM Mythbusters series. And uh, so, guys, why don't we start off with talking about, you know, just in general, party balance. Do you care? I think it depends how far you're you're literally taking this. So if you're you're coming down to this balancing where I'm looking at all the characters with a slide ruler, and, you know, you rolled up the stat stats and you're like, no, wait, there's a bell curve. I'm moving this person up, but this person has a special backstory, so I'm taking away from this person's special abilities. That gets a little ridiculous. Okay, fine. But the same breath, you know, we talk about the freedom you have to do something like I could have six, uh, you know, six rogues in my party. How cool would that be until you guys are all arm wrestling over who gets to pick the lock? And then <laughs> and then a mundane monster comes over and kicks the crap out of you because you're like, we all hide behind Bob. And then he gets crushed. Someone does have to you would think would think someone has to be able to be punched. You, you need a punching bag. You can't have six glass cannons. What do you think, Dave? 
I think, and we're going to get into like it much deeper as we go forward, obviously, but I like, and I think this is where a lot, a lot of it comes from. I like the romantic, uh, the romanticization of the balanced party, right? The fighter, the wizard, the, the cleric, the rogue, the idea of that, of that, that classic four person party, yada, yada, yada. Do I think it necessarily matters in the game? No. As we've pointed out, especially in the modern day, everybody kind of does everything in some way. Or you can at least build a character to do all that that you've pointed out. You know, there's so much healing out there. Who needs to be a cleric anymore? Me, that's who needs to be, because I, I still <laughs> like clerics. But, clerics are awesome. But yeah, I, they're very undervalued. I you like to know your fellow party members are going to appreciate you. Yeah, there's just a lot to be had in a in the cleric class. Anyway, but yeah, I, I do, I like the idea of the balanced party in the sense of like, oh, that's so like classic. But do I really care or do I think it's necessary? Probably not. Yeah, you know, for me, it's like, and this actually came up, so one of our buddies, in fact, mentioned, you know, we, we were talking about what are some of the myths out there. And he mentioned how if you have an uneven party, you know, they're going to get their ass kicked. I feel like in fifth edition, especially, you can get away with an uneven party because they have spread so many of the abilities around, as you mentioned. However, even more than that, I've always taken the attitude that the players can build whatever they want to build. And this is even back to second edition. You can make whatever characters you want to make. It's going to be on you guys, how your party comes together. And I'm going to adjust the adventure a little bit to enable you to play with those characters. So, you know, in fifth edition, that's pretty easy to do because, okay, the party realizes someone's got to find some healing or, or someone's got to be able to take a hit. They figure it out themselves. And as a DM, though, I feel like there's a whole toolkit that we don't explore because people are so obsessed with balance parties. You know, mm. there's a lot of ways to get healing in the party. You know, it's you can you can one let them hire a healer. You can put hireable NPCs in who can fill party gaps. Even beyond that, throw in more magic, throw in more uh, potions. You can give them more healing options. You can let first aid be more effective. You can uh, give them healing items. You can basically give them oh, like the healing rod we have now, where you can heal you know X times per day based on the magic item, or you could even just make it a dangerous game and see how they play around the fact that their wounds are going to last and they can't get rid of I was just going to say, yeah, like you could literally play a grimdark or a hardcore mode kind of thing where your injuries are going to last now. Kind of Cthulhu style where you get hit, you might be able to take it, but you're going to be limping for a day or two or you might have to go back to the inn or something, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's the same with, you know, if you don't have if you don't have tanks in the game. Well, say you have the the kind one of the classic ways people describe this is what if you have a party with like six thieves? Well, that is now a sneak around and that's now a survival horror game. That's not a hack and slash game. You know, this is now more Resident Evil than or or uh, or, or more uh, what's the one, Thief? And this is much more of a sneaking game now than a hack and slash. I would say that's like Rainbow Six. All of a sudden now you have a team full of commandos. Like one scouts in, he calls them in, they slit the, slit the guy's throat, all that stuff. This tactical yeah. infiltration. Yeah, if that we're talking work. like 5E, right? Like what if they build a bunch of like snipers? Like good luck, Dragon. Your ass is going down because you're in the kill box and you don't even know it. You know, well, you know that is one of the tricky things, too, because sometimes an, a party that lacks balance can actually eliminate the bad guys faster. Because, you yeah, know, your rogue party, if you get six back attacks, you six, six sneak attacks in one round, I mean, come on. How much damage is that? 
How you about know, you have a couple rogues in the party that have the assassin subclass, and right. then they're automatic crits because you were surprised. Good luck! <laughs> I mean, you're talking about a party that can deal out like 300 points of damage in one round before the bad guy gets to attack. You're taking, you know what you're doing? You're taking big bad villains, that single villain, off the table. Yeah, the previous editions I played in a lot of games with all warriors. So they throw out this monster and be like, rah, I have a low armor class and a lot of hit points. Well, here comes 26 attacks from everybody. <laughs> and they can all take hits. I would, actually, yeah. I would actually argue, if you're talking your classic party balance, if you've got like six players at the table, it's not bad for three of them to be warriors. Like we had that in the uh, in the in the fourth edition game I played where you were, where, where you were, um, uh, yeah, my name right. huh? yes, you did yeah. it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I got your 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 you're getting your mages straight. Cassidus, Erasmus, Hazard. <laughs> they do get flipped around. A lot of us's, but that's okay. <laughs> a lot of okay. Roman, a lot of a lot of Roman style names. But in that game, we had the kind of the three warriors. Now I think one of them was a battlemaster, one of them was a paladin, but effectively they fought like three tanks. And it's not bad having three tanks, one striker, and one wizard. That is not a bad party party makeup. We we did eventually get a cleric in that game, but that game I think the battlemaster did most of our healing, if I remember correctly. And I just okay. gave you guys healing searches and shit. Yeah, that was a different dynamic. So I do like the the balance, as Dave was saying, from the conceptual, traditional respect. I think that's nice. Like everybody does have what they are doing, and that makes it easier for the DM than to go, okay, this is something, this is ritual-based, that's a cleric, this is something that involves stealth or a trap, you know, your warrior, he can single combat this one opponent, or the wizard who's now going to solve the arcane puzzle. In all those respects, it's great. On the other hand, then you can find yourself with a bunch of people with rogue abilities, and now every episode's turned into the lair of the Toy Master, where it's like you're checking for traps every 15 feet. Like, what lunatic would install a dropping guillotine, like, in his entryway, you know? <laughs> now, that's true. You know, I was thinking about it more from the point of view of, oh, the party will have things they can't do. I guess if you have an unbalanced party as the DM, you now have things you can't do, right? I mean, if you don't have any thieves around, don't put locks that need to be picked. I don't think that's as bad as the reverse because then you have a lot of lock picking. You have, you have a lot of sleight of hand abilities. Then you're kind of contractually obligated to throw all this stuff in. Like, yes, the desk drawer is locked. Yep. Mm -hmm. File cabinet locked. This lunatic has locked everything. Like, like, where is this master ring of keys? Like, you ever play through that mod where this psycho <laughs> has 45 keys? This key ring must weigh like the same as Mjolnir. But and there's only one set. You made the point before too. It's like, as the DM, you have like you have literal dragons at your fingertips. So in the same way, you have the literal world at your fingertips. So whatever the party, like you made the point earlier, whatever the party is bringing, you know what they're bringing now. So now you know how to okay, this is the type of adventure we might be able to have, and maybe they'll be able to totally rip through certain encounters. And that's awesome because as we've said. That makes them feel like badasses, and that's fun. And then you also know how to really challenge them, you know, because if it's mm. a party of full of rogues, well, that's great if they can all pick locks, but what if they've entered the wizard, the archmage's mansion, and everything is like arcane locked, 
and glyphs of warding and all this other stuff that they can't do anything about unless they happen to have some sort of magical abilities or something, you know? Well, an arcane trickster, perhaps. I mean, and yeah. there are definitely some rogue builds. I mean, and traditionally, rogues have been able to mess with magic. Like, if you go back to first and second edition, rogues usually do have a way to, to, to at least play with those things, if not... Yeah, and they do in, in, the, in, the, in, the, uh, in this edition, too, but not in the same way a wizard would, right? So your, your party of wizards, all wizards, all bunch of pointy hats of different colors... If they go in the Archmage Mansion, well, that's a whole different thing. But if they go into the lair of the Toy Master, they're probably going to die, right? <laughs> because, there's going to be a yeah. lot. Of, there's going to be a lot of the tech trap and because, yeah, there handing are, there and their arthritic hands can't do anything with the lockpicks. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, of course, in fifth edition they can. Uh, in fifth edition, you just need someone who can who can spot the lock and yeah. disarm it. Yeah. You. you yeah. You do need thief tools to get into some things, but there's no limit on the thief having to use the tools, uh, depending on what background the wizard takes. Yeah. I'm still stuck on the lunatic who's trapping shit in his own house. Right. Like As Mildred, one day, traps. someone's going to come in here, and we're going to give it to him. We're going to get the business. I guess it makes sense from the point of view if you're in a castle. You know, if you're in a castle that is both your home and the and a public office space, essentially, I guess that makes sense. You know, you're going to want to keep some prying hands out of your room and out of your out of your uh, your personal toy chest. It was the version of the the uh, the ADT alarm system. But back then, you know, it just instead of calling the police, it called a fireball. ADT, arcane, well, arcane defenses and traps. There you go. There you go. That's very catchy. We're arcane defense fun. tactics. Ooh, I like that better. Arcane defense <laughs> tactics. That's the name of someone's adventuring group coming up. There you go. Or, or possibly a consulting firm in your world. Feel free to use it, people. Get back to us. So, you know, for me, I, as a DM, I've always taken the attitude, I mentioned this, that I let the players bring in whatever they want to play, and I'll just deal with it. I have noticed many times, though, players care more about the party balance. And in fact, the comment we got was from one of the players in my uh, in, in the game Erasmus came from, where he was saying, you know, that, you know, he, he, he felt like, you know, an unbalanced party was a real problem. And sometimes you run into that conversation of, well, it's not a problem to me as a DM. Like the players themselves may, may take issue with it and they may not want to go with it if you as the DM say, I, I don't care. Well, I've been in a party. I've been in a small group where there was like. Something to the effect of two warriors and a thief. And let me tell you, getting hurt in before, you know, you had the hit die rules and 5e was pretty rough. It was extraordinarily unforgiving. So you sat there all day. What are you getting back? One hit point. If you use healing herbalism, get back two hit points. <laughs> I believe it was. I believe it was two hit points per day. So good luck getting those 50 back you lost. Yeah, that was what we call the waiting game in the that adventures <laughs> took a lot longer. That's all. Adventures <laughs> took months to to go I, through. I, the mean, I will say, how often did you have a party camp out for a week just healing their wounds inside a dungeon before they moved on, and then not get attacked? Ugh, I've if, done it. I, I, you're, you're kind of like, okay, you guys can just hang out in this room. You've all got iron rations, right? You're spending a week straight in this room so you can heal up some hit points. The door's locked. I'm not going to play like you're going insane, but we all know you would be. <laughs> I, yeah, that, that that's a rough situation. You got to be really committed. I, I, tend to, I tend to think I'd leave at that point. I'm like, hmm, I'm locked in a room with you idiots for a week? <laughs> right. 
And no one has cell phones? No. Nah, we're, we're leaving. We are, trying not, we are trying not to die. <laughs> Doing our best not to die. And, you know, it kind of comes down to, I guess, the biggest, you know, outlier of this. The, 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 the biggest example would be the four wizard party. You know, just four dudes play wizards no, with no help. But I even think in that case, you know, they would have options. Wizards have some things they can do to try to take some hits. And also, wouldn't you just let them hire some goons? That would be what, uh, if you're playing the smartest people in the room, that's what you would do. You wouldn't be there getting your, your, your hands dirty. You'd be hiring bodyguards and mercenaries, right? And thieves. You would be doing the Gandalf thing, which is you would be hiring the, the dwarves. And, and then, then hiring us making your own balance party and then hiring Bilbo. Right. I mean, you know, cause he's not doing all this stuff. He's just getting them all together. Right? To do his <laughs> Gandalf, is, Gandalf is the executive in that story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if we're all playing wizards, the first thing we're doing is getting a meat shield. Somebody can pick some locks and a cleric. Got it. All right. So, you know, I guess that gives a chance though to get into and get into a kind of the brass tack situation. Right. If I were if I were DMing and I had a party, say, OK, we each want to play. There's like four of us. We each want to play wizards. My first thing would probably be, OK, you each get a hireling. You each get a fighter. You can customize him as you want. He's going to be your hireling. And he's you're, you're playing. Essentially, you have one character and you have that character's meat shield. Go. I'd probably allow that, just flat out. Everyone, everyone, you're running your wizard. You don't need to run two characters, but tactically, you've got another character there to try for you to put out in front of your wizard. That's totally, totally doable. Um, I think it's also just if that's what you're bringing to the table. If some, if everybody was like, we all want to play wizards, I'd be like, all right, let's see what happens. What's the worst that happens? You die. Okay, cool. Are, are you rolling up four more wizards? Let's do this. I don't, it's, who cares? You know, my thing for that, if somebody was coming, because we've talked about this before, because I've said, I would like to do the, the Rogue's Guild adventure or the Wizard's Guild adventure. What I would want to do is have everyone kind of discuss at like a session zero, all right, what are we all doing so that we're not all the uh, evocation wizard, you know? Well, no, you're like the head of evocation school. You're the head of the illusion school. And really play to those things. Really play to some of the archetypes. (laughs) They can still all have fireballs, right? But really start to, like, have them all agree and, like, let's really do this, you know? Not just make four basic, you know, basic bitch wizards, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Look, I think back to the way 2E handled the rogue development, where you got so many points per level that you could put into your different abilities. Mm. You almost have to develop into, okay, so one we already have the pickpocket. We already have the guy who's uh, picking locks. Well, someone else has better be doing the cat work, the, the high-rise stuff. Exactly. Yeah, that's someone actually... Be doing the pick, pick, somebody's uh, a second-story guy. Somebody's yeah, someone's got to do the pocket pick. They, they covered that, actually, in the second edition of Rogue's Handbook. Yeah. Um, they talked about how your rogues would have individuality, particularly in low levels, because if you want to really specialize in something, you might have someone who's a box man who can like just pick locks, but that guy can't get over the wall. That guy can't <laughs> sneak. With that said, too, in, in second edition previously, you'd have these wizards like a necromancer was restricted from certain schools, which you're yeah. not now. So really having four wizards they aren't that different mechanically. Yeah. More specialist wizards in, in second edition would have been much diff- more different than, say, four... I mean, you can separate them apart in other ways, in personality, race, backstory, etc., but... Actually, I'm gonna... I disagree there, because 
the wizard schools let you do things much better than other schools get to do them. You know, Evoker, for example, gets that bonus where they can make sure that they can sculpt the spell around friendly people. Oh, I, well, I understand. That Rolling I mean, you didn't care about it at first, but, you know, just because you don't care about your party members. But also, honestly, they do the risks. So the Divination <laughs> Wizard is a total pain in the ass as far as being out. Because the Divination Wizard can, can basically, they roll some dice before the game and they can pop those in to replace other rolls during the game for them and for the enemies. So they can basically make sure you can, okay... We're casting the spell on your dude. You're casting banishment. And here, his saving throw was a three. Fuck off. The ne- uh, the necromancer. I actually understand the grave cleric. A cleric is a better necro. Is the best necromancer. But I believe He's a better necromancer than necromancer. I think so. Well, yeah. The, the, the cleric. The cleric, <laughs> grave cleric is pretty. Is pretty cool. Yeah. The I mean, but the necromancer is still serviceable. Totally serviceable. But the conjurer, I understand, is your is like one of your best pet classes. Like your best way to kind of do a kind of a summoned help kind of class. So there are things in there where you can have different kinds of wizards because the schools really do put certain things above what the other what the other wizards can do in that mechanical sphere. Well, those are different abilities, but essentially everybody has the same spells is my point. Well, well yeah, because but that's the nature of the arcane, though, right, is that spells are, in essence, formulas. And if you can figure out the formula, you can do it. But some people will be better at understanding that formula will come to them more second nature than other but people. I gotta tell you, I didn't get any better as at evocation really until the point where I felt it was meaningful until I hit later level. Well, yeah, but like later later level was like tier two. Yeah. It wasn't like, you know, I mean, we're not at like tier, we're not at fifth tier yet. Like as soon as you got fireball and, and lightning bolt, once you get those third level spells at fifth level, that's really where before then, yeah, there's not a whole lot of difference. Um, but I actually feel like, so take, for example, I have a, I have a warlock who has polymorph. Polymorph does some very similar things to what my druid can do. My moon druid can do. However, it's not nearly as good. Like it really is a situation where your skills, like those, those abilities you get with those specializations make some things good and some things bad is, is the issue we run into a little bit. Like, so, you know, my druid is way better at shape-shifting than any other character I've played. Like, like, uh, Hannibal, I was hoping when I picked it, when I picked up shape-shifting with my warlock, I was hoping it would be as good as the shape-shifting I had with Hannibal. And it isn't. You know, it's like shape-shifting no. is a mechanic to play if you're playing Druid. It's not really that useful if you're playing a regular wizard. So I would, I would argue that just that. The specializations, they're, they're not just side abilities. They're, I think they make a big difference as far as how playable your spells are. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's also – that though, those two things are, are different, completely different classes, though, too. But, yeah, in terms of, of shape-shifting, your Druid is absolutely going to be more powerful because they don't have to worry about concentrating on it constantly. So the minute you take a hard enough hit, doesn't matter – what happens, you're dropping out of that, as we've well, seen multiple it's, times. It's not just that, though. It's also that you can turn into much more useful creatures. And that's the difference. Like, if you can turn into the, the druid progression on hit dice is way more effective than the progression you get out of other out, out of other ways to polymorph. Sure. And that's sure. the difference. It's And I think it's the same thing with, you know, raising dead isn't that useful. I, I've, I've had the spell. I've had We've had demon summoning spells in our games. They're not that great. But if you're the wizard who, if you're the conjuration wizard who can who can basically get a, a bonus to summon them, that's now a different thing. And I think that's actually how it plays out. I think I think it's more playable when you're a wizard in those specializations. Well, okay. So is there any 
strength in having the diverse party in that respect as far as class? Well, you know, I think there are... Let me box you in and say diversity is not good. I think I've had you trapped There you go, right? (laughs) You know what, though? But, I mean, are we just building parties to be min-maxing? Or are we building parties so that the players play what they want to play? That is an excellent question. And that's where a lot of this, I think, some of this... This this debate that kind of surrounds this idea, it comes from that. It depends on what are you coming to the game for as a player, yeah. you know? Like you said earlier, Thorne, I'm absolutely that player who comes and, okay, what's the party look like and what type of adventure are we running? And then I'm going to be like, okay, well, what would I like to play out yeah. of these couple classes? You know, like in Woodstock, I absolutely chose cleric and chose a life cleric because I'm like, there's a lot of new players here. Like, I don't need everyone dying on me in the first adventure, you know what I mean? Would be um, memorable. With the Bard, for we're playing Storm King's Thunder. Okay, let me think of something. How can I fit giants into this so it makes some sense? So I'm absolutely that type of player that's going to bring, yeah, okay, I'll fill in this gap. Or I'll create a level of balance in the party while still playing something I enjoy, you know? I don't think anybody would say as a DM, no, you can't play. At least I don't think a, a good uh, in-touch DM would say, no, you can't play a fighter. We have too many fighters. I think that's a bad position to take. But would it be smoother if there was different moving parts in the group? Mm. That That's kind of what I'm putting back. Well, it can be, the, but it really comes down to what do the players want to play? You know, and I think that's a more important question. That at the end, the player gets to play the character that player wants to play. Because as a DM, can't you make anything smooth? It really just depends on how you adapt the game. You know, if you don't have any rogues, if you don't have anyone picking traps, well, now your traps are different. Your traps are no longer a reasonable thing for the rogue to overcome. Your traps are now, like, high-stakes problems the party may not be able to solve. You that's know, so a it's a different thing. That, and I've done that, but I have to also put back to you, what is the point of me playing a rogue if since if I don't, we don't bring a rogue, there's not going to be any traps? If they bring a rogue, you put in traps. And you can put in traps anyway. It's just your traps are different. For With a rogue in the party, and actually we should say, in 5th edition it's less of a big deal even, but even in, because in 5th edition anyone can, can find and pick traps. But with a rogue in the party and say older editions – the trap is now a challenge for the rogue to overcome. If the party doesn't have a rogue, the trap is now a limiting factor they have to avoid. And it just changes the way you use your traps. They're either, they go from being a challenge for one of the party members to a boundary that the rest of the party has to respect and look out for. You know, it just, it just changes the dynamic of traps. I don't think it's a problem not to have one if the players don't feel like playing one. I think that was similar. If I could just back up on that point, that's somewhat similar to saying, <clears throat> regardless of the makeup of your party, whatever they are. So any of our campaigns, you start to see that the players start to to utilize certain tactics. They start to utilize certain spells. They start to utilize whatever it might be, whatever type of teamwork. That's how they approach problems. So in the same way, you alter the the the, the parameters. So if they're always just like in, in Strahd, um, Shannon's character, the rogue, yeah, can, can go through anything. She can pick anything. She can spot anything. She's super stealthy. So that's going to change. Do I care that doors are locked necessarily? Well, now I care that they're locked in a way that's maybe magically. They, you know, they, they have to be open magically or something. It changes the parameters of what I can throw in front of you that's a challenge, you know? 
Absolutely. Yeah. With, with adding uh, henchmen, I think that is a good solution. My only concern is kind of the bandwidth in terms of the battle map. Because, like, you know, you mentioned pets, and, like, my eyebrow went up. <laughs> because, like, I remember it's great when you have, like, a six, seven, eight-person game, and then they've got pets. And you're like, okay, like, you know, my, my CPU's running at, like, 110 capacity there. And now these guys <laughs> all have – and actually, the truth is, we've all traditionally been pretty lucky where we've had a pretty even splattering of characters. Like, in your original game that we played where Rasmus came out of, well, there was a lot of players. We had some warriors. We had – we had some people that came. We had a druid. We had a rogue. It was a nice mix. Same with Storm King's Thunder, and same with uh, Ravenloft. So we didn't even have to really address that. But I will say too. Oh, sorry, Tom. Go ahead. Oh, okay. But like, but would you have wanted? To, I mean, we. I think Dave would have been cool with us hiring an NPC, for example. But also, then in the context, would that NPC been available? And you know, some of those maps are like that one map you did on top of the hill, Dave, or fighting on Halloween. That Mr. was intense. Hill. A yeah, lot awesome. of shit was going on there. And just, was- as a, just as a real aside, I saw somebody post, I think on Instagram this week, they posted that they were doing that battle. And this is Yester Hill, uh, for anyone who's uh, familiar with the Curse of Strahd. They built like a 3D version of it. Like they had done some foam and then printed out the maps and put them on. It was, it looked amazing. I was like, <laughs> wow. this is hats off to that. Dude. Uh, but what I was going to say that kind of goes to what you were, what you were saying, Tony. And I think Thorne, you were making this point as well. What I found in the different groups is that people kind of just create the diversity themselves. Mm. I haven't run where people are like, Nope, we're all clerics, you know, like now, I would have no issue with that. And I think there's lots of ways you can you can go about it. But I find that most people generally start to balance themselves out, one, because they don't want to be a wizard. They don't like spellcasters. They want to be, I want to hit things. I want to cast sword, right? That's all I want to cast. And then, but other people, like, it, they just, they start to balance themselves out. And they also don't want to necessarily be exactly like the other person. They want to, they want individuality. So, Generally speaking, it seems to diversify itself. So, I mean, but this comes from the point of view of the idea that a party needs to be balanced is a very big myth. It's in out the there. Community. Yeah. And we even had, I mean, as we were uh, like when we when I wrote the Mythbusters article uh, last week, one of our friends came back and, and said that that's one of the big things to him was the party's got to be balanced. Why do players feel that way, then? Well, actually, I'd say in the 5e environment, it's more likely to be diverse opposed to balanced. And let me quantify that. Back in the earlier editions, first of all, the majority race for everybody was human. Just truth. Periodically, you got an elf. Periodically, you got a dwarf. And that one oddball want to be a halfling just to be like, hey, guys, I'm different. But I feel like I played with a lot of elves and half-elves, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. And you had basically four classes. There were some other classes out there, but everybody kind of landed in there. So, yeah, they had very specific abilities. Now, there's tons of classes. There's tons of different pathways. There's the most races there's ever been. There's actually all well, kinds of interesting backstories. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, depends. Races, I think. Oh, I my God. There are so many races right now. It's absurd. You could be a turtle. <laughs> well, and, and if we if we go along with uh, with something like Tasha's as well, um, 
the the me the mechanic they built in to build whatever idea of a race or species that you sure. have in mind, they have it in there, which is actually in my mind a pretty cool mechanic. But, but I'm, well, but, but just, going where back I'm, to where what I'm coming from though is like second edition had the splat book that was just humanoid races. Yeah, it was yeah. just monstrous races. Like they had it, they had entire expansions of new races in second edition. So just throwing that out there for. But for, going back to what you were saying, Thorne, I think a lot of that comes from because also the person that asked us that that kind of came with that idea of party balance came from original D&D. They came from OD&D. They came from the white box. And in that, you had, Tony, you are absolutely correct. It was human and by design. You know, the, the point that they had was that humans, it was the time of men now. You know, those other races were gone, right? And that's why you can only go to ninth level. Fuck that. But that's, that's where it was. Nobody right? did that. Right. But what I'm saying, right, that was by design. But you had fighting man. Magic user, cleric. That was it. You had three. Then they three added more. thief. Then they added thief. Um, so in that way, you had to the balance became advantageous for the party to survive when they had two hit points, right? So I have two hit points and I have a stick and I can cast magic missile once. The end, right? And so Clerks couldn't heal I need second level. other things around <laughs> me, right? Whether it might be hirelings, whether it might be NPCs, whatever it is. But I, so I think a lot of that idea of party balance comes from the, the history of the game and how it was built. But I think that changed dramatically in the last almost 50 years to the point now, Tony, you were making the point where 5e it doesn't really matter because balance, they in essence created the balance for you regardless of what you pick. You want to be four wizards? Cool. You still can get healing spells somehow or you can gain potions or something. You know, you actually can't get healing, which I still think is something. Isn't there, there, there's, there's no wizard way there's to heal, is there? Wizard, well, there are some You can do literally cool. everything except heal, which is kind of interesting, right? So sorcerers can heal, warlocks can heal, clerics heal, of course. Wait, can, sor can heal. Do sorcerers have access to... Maybe they don't. I don't think they do. I think druid, bard, and cleric do. Warlock um, does now. There's a warlock. There's now a warlock patron. Because you have the celestial one, yeah. right? But yeah, wizards and sorcerers, I think they are barred from healing magic so that they can't do literally everything, right? So, but... Currently in 5e, for instance, it the balance is built into the design of literally every class. So I think the idea of balance is in the foundation. So you don't even need to choose it anymore. It's just there. I think it's a very fair point. Uh, Thorne touched base on this uh, in a previous one with uh, when it started 4e, where the paladin could essentially cast a fireball, except the wizard's fireball was a fireball, and the paladin would do some kind of sword attack where he would do this sword flurry, and it might as well be a fireball. So, I mean, if you want the flavor of being a wizard, great. If not, you the flavor of being a paladin and attacking with your charisma. 4E, 4E had that issue where everything kind of became the same thing. There is actually, there's Divine Soul Sorcerer that is a healing sorcerer. They okay. gain access to cure wounds, inflict wounds, or they can gain access to cure wounds. 
they get empowered healing at six levels. So they get they get some healing from the okay. vessel. So it means that some might seem unnatural. That's all. Yeah, as unnatural as the warlock. I mean, <laughs> a you know opportunity knocks. But what do you do about this issue where the players have an issue with the party being unbalanced? Because I got to tell you, that's been challenging to deal with. It's one thing for me to come in and say, okay, you can play whatever you want. It's another thing when the players start. And I've talked before about how I feel about players hating on someone else's class or someone else's choice of character. I think yeah. it's kind of a dick move, you know? They yeah. get to play what they want to play just like you do. But then what do you do if the part if the player's like, it's an unbalanced party I don't want to play? Well, you're you're kind of painted into a corner. So what are your options really? You could allow them to hire an NPC, or mm-hmm. you could, as we talked about, use other means to perhaps offset the problem they're saying. We'd have to look at that specifically and say, why do you feel this is unbalanced? Lack of healing, not enough AOE. We don't have a striker. We have four people competing over the role of tank. Like, what's happening? Like, what is the real problem? And see if we could circumvent that. Could you take one of those tanks and kind of push them, nudge them towards being a bit more of a striker? There is some ways. And sometimes you have players that do play the hard line with that. But then... You know, you didn't assign these characters now, did you? That's kind of it, right? Because it's not really, it's, it's, the question is party balance, but the problem is really more that everyone should get to play their own class. You know, everyone should get to make their own character and have freedom to do that. And if that leads to the party being unbalanced, I think it's something you have to work out at the table and kind of let play out as it is. Uh, it's just, yeah, you know, I mean, I guess one of the things you can do is be very obvious about how you're going to, about how you're going to handle it or, Maybe even kick it back to them. Like, okay, you feel like the party's unbalanced. How do you guys want to approach fixing this? I've honestly never squashed anybody's character idea unless they came in there with something from absolutely left field. Like, I want to be the king's son or <laughs> yeah, I have powers from a meteor. And I'm like, this is Dungeons and Dragons. Like if yeah. you, if you want to, if you want to have fl- flying and heat vision, we could talk about that. This has to be in a different system. The, the secret power play character is I think a different thing. The, okay. Yeah. I'm going to start a first level like everyone else, but I want to be the king's son and I have guards that come with me and I have magic stuff. And uh, plus three stores. Yeah. As we, 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 we talked about that a lot and then yeah, totally. Right. But that's completely different from party balance and the idea well, of different I guess classes. actually it is part of party balance though, isn't it? It's a different kind of party balance. It's the party balance of one character getting more stuff to start with. It's it's an unfairness more than the party aligning itself in an unbalanced way. So yes, that is actually that's definitely something I found that comes up with that sometimes. That whole idea of okay, party balance is going to cause us problems that I as a player don't want to deal with. And I guess it's the DM, you just kinda I, I love the idea. Like for me, the biggest thing to do is just to kick it back to them. Um, hasn't always been successful. You know, I think the players, if the players see something, their party's not gonna be able to handle very well. I think, it, I think the players need to think proactively about, okay, what are we going to do about this? How can I help this situation? Or how can we work together to overcome this? Or ask the DM for something that'll help us overcome it. Actually, when it comes to actual party balance from that respect, like we rolled up our characters in both your uh, your game for Woodstock and for Dave's game in Ravenloft. And I rolled some decent dice with Erasmus. I was pretty pleased with that. For Hawk, my dice were on fire. He's like, roll up three <laughs> characters. The first character I rolled up, I'm like, holy shit. There is no point in me rolling these other two characters out because they're not going to touch how good this was. But in 5e, it 
actually rather ingeniously fields that problem because, okay, so your barbarian has an intelligence bonus. Nobody cares. He's not going to have arcane skills. He's not going to have history skills. Well, maybe he might. Maybe maybe that's their thing. But it seems unlikely intrinsically when skills are so rare. So maybe he could, you know, sit in at a business meeting and be like, hmm. I don't know, brother, that doesn't sound right to me. I don't think you're uh, accounting for those things properly, you know, but he's not stealing I, the thunder from either of the arcane guys who actually don't have any actual arcane knowledge themselves, which is just terrifying. I, uh, I really appreciate that the idea of the class of barbarian as a whole has now turned into Hulk Hogan. So now, regardless <laughs> of, if you're a barbarian now in Tony's world, you are Hulk Hogan now. That's, you're at least a wrestler. You don't need to be Hulk Hogan. I don't yeah, think it's you a, do need to you be. Are you are someone from the WWE. But you, you, can, you can be a luchador. WWF. You can't be I, like one of these new motherfuckers. You got to be like Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> you got to be Jake the Snake. Something. I'm going to find a wish, that. and I'm going to let my wrestling attacks do magic damage. That is his, his goal. Oh, right, right. see some good gloves some gloves that give him magic magic wrestling damage you know and i would say but you know on the one hand you know that barbarian barring something unforeseen is not is never going to get the proficiency bonus added to their intelligence saving throw like you're still going to be able even if they get a plus two to their intelligence save you still have a pretty meaty target there as the dm to to, to put an effect on that well, look man you put in a bar like i don't care you could t- give me a, a party of barbarians with all their their hot stats give them all 20s give them a 20 strength give them a 20 dex give them a 20 con that's cool no problem you guys will roll over most stuff until you enter the mind flayers lair and intellect devourers come at you and then good luck because you're all gonna die right flins or something a barbarian does not want to see that whack in mace with the with the pain damage that's psychic damage yeah. yeah, no, yeah, well, that was that's what took down the barbarian and the Woodstock Wanderers. Like, she's she hadn't been down the entire set, like the entire campaign. Flind walks up, it's like 69 points of pain of, of psychic damage. Wow, half of that, no, 69. no. <laughs> so, <laughs> that... in the face, literally. <laughs> so, is, is is this Flind fighting with mind flare tentacle Nunchaka? Like, what's going on it's here? Just the, the, uh, the Flind is a demon possessed gnoll. But he's yeah. not like just a gnoll. He is he is a he is a uh, fiend of a he's a fiend of a gnoll, and he comes with a mace that has each. It's a three-headed flail actually, and each each head has a different effect. One of the effects is like I think like sixty-six pain damage or something like that. Or pain, psychic damage. But it's from the sheer pain it deals, and just deals straight psychic damage. The yeah, other things are all nasty too. The Flynn's nasty. He's fun. I, yeah. they're, they're, the players are out of his zone now, but I am not. I am not. Uh, you know, I, I have attempted to bring back an empowered Flynn at some point because that was a good fight. I <laughs> you did, missed that. I, you were there for that one. I, I will say, I thought it was a strange design uh, thing, a, a strange writing uh, technique that Chris Perkins decided to put just armies of Flynn's surrounding Castle Ravenloft. I was like, <laughs> I don't know why they, I don't know why these would exist here, but okay, man, it's your, it's your adventure. Sounds like I'm, the kind I'm of thing it, Vampire <laughs> dog people. It's on. There are other things that do psychic damage. I mean, that is the bigger barbarian weakness. Psychic damage, straight to the dome, literally. But, you know, while he does take uh, half damage to magic, he 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 gets advantage on deck saves. He doesn't necessarily have dexterity proficiency, nor yeah. do they have wisdom, any form of wisdom score defense. They're taking that, and that's where the most of 
your mental attacks go, unless you're trying to get possessed. In which case, guess what? You have no charisma defense either. Except for the barbarian does have that deal where they're immune to mind magic when they're raging. Does that protect against possession? Not my kind of barbarian. <laughs> mm, okay. I did, I did notice, I'll, though, I, like you can't charm your barbarian when they're raging. That is, uh, so, they gave him that at least. So take it from, this, take it from a different perspective, though. Let's see if, it, if, it, if any of this changes, if we change some of the parameters. If, so most of what we talk about revolves around D&D, obviously, because it's, it's the big guy, right? Yeah. But does this idea of party balance shift or change when we start talking about other systems? Because at first I started to think about, like, let's say Call of Cthulhu and Marvel as two ideas because we're playing this. Call of Cthulhu, from my initial reaction, was like, oh, my God, yeah, you need some level of balance because the skill set is so diverse. But then I went back to your thought earlier, Thorne, where I said, but what's the adventure we're playing? Maybe the adventure of all professors makes sense or or a couple, you know, cops and, and mercenaries get together or something. You know, maybe that makes sense for the adventure. So does party balance make sense? And then on the Marvel side of things, yeah, the Fantastic Four. You don't want four things running around, but maybe you do. Because I think four things might have taken care of most of the Fantastic Four's problems, even <laughs> easier, except for any of the ones that you think four. Yeah, unless except for the times Reed had to invent something. But outside of that, like they'll just punch their way through pretty much most most of their uh, villains. So thoughts on that? When we start to shift systems, like when it comes out of D and D, and your fighter magic user cleric rogue, does it change with that? You know. Yeah. This ties into something I've mentioned here, and it's my big takeaway from this whole question. And it is at the core of why I consider party balance to be a myth. I don't think you ever need party balance, and here's why. Whatever the characters... Thorne's whatever the player, busted. Thorne's but, about to busted. Here it comes. For me, whatever <laughs> the players bring to the table, you are going to need to build adventures for them. And it is true whether it's a balanced party or a not balanced party. So, you, as you're, you know, Dave, you make a great point. Like, I'm DMing Call Cthulhu. Yeah. If no one has, you know, certain investigative abilities, certain things are not going to work for clues for them. Like, if no one can read Latin, <laughs> they approach a Latin book a, in a different way. Now, however, that doesn't mean they can't solve that. Yes. And it doesn't mean they can't investigate these things. It just means right. they're going to have to go about it differently. So if you bring that all cop, uh, police force into a game. You get something like, I think it's horror at Red Hook, which is like basically a police investigation that turns into a police assault and they clear out this, um, they clear out this cult beneath, uh, beneath Red Hook. And I apologize. That is considered one of HP Lovecraft's more racist stories. I am sorry. Uh, <laughs> I can't help that. Yeah. You, the, yeah. Let's just that's, accept that that's yeah. any time talking about Lovecraft. That's Not defending Lovecraft on yeah. this front. <laughs> we, we, we like the things he created. We do not like the racism. Um, <laughs> But so it's a different game because then it does become kind of more of like your predator type situation, right? It's like right. Danny Glover in Predator 2 where he's not trying to learn about this alien. He's just going out there and he's fighting this alien. So it's a different kind of game. When you get things you can investigate, those players can't look into it themselves. What they need to do, as good cops would, is think about where can I get a lead? They take, right. the, they take the evidence, they take it to an expert, and the expert tells them what they need to know. They go back out on the trail to collect more evidence and confront this thing, because that's what the police officer characters are built for. So I think it's that kind of thing. If you have a party that's all 
that's all professors, you're going to be very strong in the investigation. You want to make sure you know what each of them knows that the other doesn't. So you can throw in things that let them each shine in their own way. Maybe you let them do things that are like, okay, you're doing library research. Each of you basically adds a day to the, it, each of you reduces the research by a day or something. So uh -huh. if it's like, if it takes like 10 days, 10 successful checks worth of research to do and each day is a check. Well, if you have five investigators, they can get 10 checks in two days, perhaps. Um, they're going to need to find help dealing with the physical challenges or it just becomes a very, it becomes a, it becomes a very intellectual type of game where they need to avoid the monsters at all costs. It becomes a hide and think kind of game for them. And again, you're building your, your adventure to fit the players you have, the characters you have. And I think that's it. Like, I think no matter what system you're in, no matter what party the players bring together, you're always going to be catering how that runs to those players including even if you're running boxed adventures, like you don't need to build the adventure entirely to what they do, but you're going to under, you're going to need to keep in mind that their solutions will need to fit their characters. If they don't have these skills, keep in mind, you're going to need to be able to tell them where they can go get these skills or who can help them. If you know, that kind of thing you need to build in one way or the other. Well, those are all very good points. Uh, you did also just cite two systems, which are fully classless. And I think where the, the party balance myth originates from was based on the original classes what have you um but yeah no you'd handle these things differently but i well the trouble on, though, running... are they fully i understand because they don't have literally like a like a class that comes with very well cthulhu kind of does cthulhu but has professions which do, I don't which do make a difference i don't i wouldn't say that they're classless though because even with marvel like you're building a very specific type of hero that does specific things you know so that, that's a fair point but i do feel there's a degree and i'm not taking away from anything you just said of value and it's nicer when this works out you know, on its own, when the players self-regulate this, because you're not picking what they are going to bring to the table with their inspiration. But let's okay, let's use Marvel for example. If I'm running a Marvel game and six guys pick six powerhouses, then I think the the trick there is differentiating all six of these characters. And what you want to do is give each give each of these guys that cool moment. Now, Thorne threw out some suggestions. Uh, but when you have six professors, maybe they each specialize in something different, or you have six thieves, maybe one someone, they, they're expert lock pickers, but they're very niche. And I think those opportunities are more finite. Mm. Well, I think niche, yeah, like, and that's where, I think that's where you, I, I would agree with you, Tony, on that sense, not in the sense of the classlessness, but in the sense of, especially something like Cthulhu, it builds in the the niche within the system similar to what it sounds like uh 2e did with the thief where you in essence could you only had so much resources to put into something so you could get really good at speaking latin but you're you know you can't fire a gun it, to, it, you know. except except 2e started you with a very flat chart you started with an array of skills across the board and you could adjust it a little, but basically you started 2E with maybe one thing you were good at. Yeah, not you were yet. Okay at it. Like, yeah. That was the problem. Like, the problem being a 2E thief was you pretty much sucked. Until yeah, to as Tony said, level. he wasn't going to try to break in anywhere until he was like ninth level or something. That is absolutely the truth. I had a thief who was actually dynamite and they're like, hey man, you want to break in there? I'm like, what are you, crazy? 
Like, I'm going to dungeon and break into a house? Like, it depends if the DM's running it. Like, if your DM's really a hard ass and they're making you roll, like, 43 stealth checks, then no, I'm not breaking into a house. I'm better off going into a dungeon and fighting monsters, you know, in a life-and-death situation. Which um, sounds insane, but yeah. <laughs> it's fantasy. But, but my point with this really is, is that uh, if I was running up a Call of Cthulhu game and I had six sharpshooters in the game then you can run into the same problem where i ran into where i used to run a lot of very martial character uh based parties and that was it became a, a wrestle between those six guys of who has the, the best initiative who's got the lowest armor class mm. who has the most hit points who's the most accurate with the weapons who's dealing the most damage mm. and instead of the characters differentiating themselves in plot and personality wise it became crunchy in that respect that 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 is my underlining and final concern surrounding so, this matter i mean so what we're kind of getting to is that the problem with unbalanced parties isn't that as a dm you can't that it ruins what you give them it doesn't it doesn't ruin the adventure it doesn't mean they can't complete the adventure the problem is the players might not like having other people <laughs> stepping on their toes that's my experience it's a fair 100%. one absolutely i would say the other thing i think is i think from the dm point of view I also think we need to consider you come into DMing sometimes, especially if you're doing like a book module, especially if you're newer, where you look at, okay, here's what the problems are in this book. And when they get to here, it's like, ah, ha, ha, no one can deal with a trap. That's going to screw them. And I think as a DM, we all are very comfortable with this, but to our listeners, you have to understand a problem the party can't deal with is not actually a good thing for your character. <laughs> Yeah, you're not. You playing can say gotcha. that again. Yeah, you, you're That's, like you're really you're not playing gotcha with the one thing the party forgot to think of. It's not going to turn out the way you think <laughs> it's going to turn out. It, it's okay. It is okay to do it once in a while. But even like the the flying dragon, where I was like, look, guys, you got to retreat and go figure out how you're going to deal with a flyer. Um, even that the party did not appreciate. Like, it's okay to push them where they don't have things where they are open, so they're aware of their weaknesses and aware that you might exploit them. But, like, the idea that, okay, the party doesn't have anyone who can pick a lock, therefore, I'm going to put in some locks, you know, or, or I'm just, or those locks are going to be things they can't get past, and that's okay, that's their fault. It's not really. And that's my whole point, as we talk about this more, is that whatever they can do or can't do at the end of the day, DMs, it's your problem. You're going to need to think it's about like how can my adventure. Work. Yes. You're going to need to think about how can my adventure facilitate them completing the adventure, or you're going to need to come up with a new adventure very, very quickly. Yeah, to a degree. Or, or there has to be ways in which they can then interact with the world to solve these problems. And like we were saying, for the, quote, unbalanced party, you know, the party of all wizards, let's say, um, they're going to come at those problems different than the group of all the Ben Grimm thing. Right. They're just going to come at it differently. It's not wrong, but it might open up new ways that the adventure goes. Absolutely. And the other thing that goes with that is as a DM, you have to recognize, you know, I love putting it back on the party to tell me how they're going to solve this problem. But then you've got to kind of go with it or at least kind of like help them get to a thing that'll work in the way you see your world, because otherwise you're stuck and no one's going anywhere and that's not going to work. And with that type of problem, and I, I, this is one of my things I keep coming back to, is how often are you playing? Is this a serious mm -hmm. game where you're playing weekly, 
or it's just a once a month we're getting together, we're having that celebration. We actually all made it here together, like in one of Dave's memes, like the seven planets aligned, and we got five <laughs> hours together so we can run a uh, we can run a module. You know what? Like I can think of two gotcha moments like that, which ended badly. Um, the one was the fly, the dragon flying around for hours, and we couldn't take him down. And the other time I was in a module with Thorne where our party members almost starved to death. And the truth is, both of those were completely on us as a party. 100%. I, I cannot, I cannot sugarcoat that any further. Uh, was he making my, you I, track your rations or something? Or well, no, like the DM asked us how much food we had. And then we, like, for example, he says, how much food you got? I got a week's worth of food. All right, great. And then we left. And, like, you realize you're on, like, a three-and-a-half-week journey. <laughs> and it was it was also, he had used, this. we've talked about this from before it's come up here. That was when the DM had said you're on a frozen tundra, which we kind of took to mean, okay, there'll be, like, some stuff around here. There'll be, like, some some, some birds and stuff around here or we can hide. Caribou hunt. or something. Yeah, not what he meant. He meant you are in a frozen ice field waste where you will have nothing else you can hunt or live off of. There will be no vegetation. There will be no animals. And like that didn't come across. So we're like, all right, we'll hunt at the end. And it, it, we didn't quite get and it, it, miscommunication <laughs> on both sides here, but we didn't get that. No, 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 no. He means you can't hunt. <laughs> you have well, nothing with you or nothing else. I hope the cleric levels up enough in three and a half weeks to cast create food. <laughs> <laughs> where I'm going with this, though, is that, you know, when you throw out that party gotcha moment because they don't have a broad, broadly, you know, diverse enough party that it's like, you know what? I waited. I, I can see myself. So I'm like, all right, so I'm on level five of this dungeon and nobody can find the secret door. I can just see myself in real time going and I waited five weeks for this game. Like, seriously? I mean, if the secret door is essential... You're going to have to find a way that they can find it. It's what yeah, it comes I mean, down we to. We're going to hope we're not using first edition rules where the elves well, got a D6 chance of finding it or some this shit like that. This comes back to one of the first articles on our website. No single point failures. As yeah. a DM, you got to take that away from us. No single point failures. Don't have anything in your adventure, your story, your dungeon, your campaign that you can ruin by the players failing a role. You need backup plans for anything like that. Yeah, maybe it's harder. Maybe they may, maybe the secret door is a quicker way to get to the end, but it can't be the only way to get to the end. Unless they're unless it, you're gonna let them just find it somehow if they can't, you know? Yeah, yeah and then yeah. You, then you run then, into then you run into uh. Eventually, that poor goblin comes out the other side of it. He's like, dude, you're, you're like they're hanging out trying to find the door, and the I goblin comes out. He's just doing his brows. Oh, he closes the door. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see that secret <laughs> door there. <laughs> He just stops dead and looks and just starts to back up into the secret room again, closing the door silently as a barrage of arrows and fireballs blasts him into fucking the Elysium That goblin field. definitely has surprise. That goblin's definitely getting a turn to slink back, but he has given it up. The goblin Steve has bailed out the party. Steve's so using his ability of staying so still he's invisible. <laughs> They can't even see me. <laughs> so before you know, we're getting towards the end here, but I want to want to hit on this one thing. So we've so we've kind of come to the conclusion, right? As a DM, you can work around the party's prop, the, the the balance issues in the party. If they don't have any, you know, no healer, you can work around it. No tanks, you can work around it. No utility, you make it easier to solve some of these like hidden door type problems. No firepower, 
you know, like if they don't have any anyone who can do area of effect type spells, maybe cut down on the masses of mobs you throw out them or give them some ability to kind of throw some grape shot out there or some grenades or something. But all of these things you can DM around. The player factor, though. What are some tips for dealing with players who feel like the party is unbalanced and like they're not going to shine? They don't like it. Anything else we kind of want to hit on there? Because I feel like that is, if anything is the tough problem here, it's that. Well, in that point, we have to make the differences between the characters in terms of personality and story matter in the game. Then that has to open up different pathways where there are different things that they can explore surrounding their backstory. I mean, they may have a lot of very mechanically similar abilities. And quite honestly, and especially in the previous editions, I don't need to tell you guys, but like you get four fighters together. I mean, really, were their abilities different? Not really. I mean, maybe one's got a little bit more hit points, one's a little stronger, one's a little faster, etc. But you have to use those different there's different flavor text and flavor has to matter in the game. That's how you got to pull that up, kind of unwedge those pieces and don't let them be four, you know, four faceless fighters. They've all got to be individual characters, very distinctive and defined. I mean, we're effectively talking about the Hobbit here. The Hobbit's yeah. what? Nine fighters, a thief and an executive wizard who's only there some of the time and won't use his power. It's basically the classic mono party. You've got to make your fighters, uh, you've know, you got to find ways that everyone can have the time in the sun. And we still probably have them all run together, don't we? I mean, I'm named after one of them. I don't know if I can name them all off the top of my head. There's no way I can name them oh, all. Oh, God, no. And I, I, mean, I love that <laughs> Um, I think, though, that it, uh, a lot of this, what, what I think we've been kind of circling around and realizing is that this falls down to what we always say, knowing your, knowing your players, knowing your table in the sense of, or a session zero type thing, knowing what people are coming for, kind of like the types of players like we talked about, because you could absolutely have a group of four fighters that they'll all be very different. They'll all have their own, uh, their own personalities, their own goals, their own ways of approaching things, not necessarily just axe, 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 sword, sword, sword. Or you have a bunch of just min-max power gamers that just want to know, well, what's your what's your decks? What's your decks? And Tony, I can understand where that's gonna that would be difficult, DM. So that kind of falls back onto what's the kind of game you want to run? Because I have no issue if people wanted to come and be four clerics or seven fighters but let's figure this out let's talk about what are what's the point of this why are you together who are you what do you want to do and then you can have those points where they can shine um and then the balance doesn't won't necessarily matter because you can as thorn said adjust the adjust the game to them just like you're going to adjust it to a quote balance party where the cleric I'm sure the the Strahd team would love to have a second cleric in the party that's just preparing healing spells all day long. Well, you know what I mean? Clerics? 
<laughs> but then it then it wouldn't matter, right? Because even balanced parties aren't going to necessarily play balanced because they're going to play it the way they want to play it, right? That's their character. So I think come to mind when Tony mentioned that the curse was just, our parties are all fairly balanced. Yeah. I didn't think about the time as we're going on. I'm going, wait, hold on. Yeah. He constantly what, complains what, there's no healing in the party. Dude, what are I going to do to get a cure serious wounds around here, man? Someone hit me a slim jim. The fighter that's that's kind of cowardly, right? Like. That's cool. You have a fighter in the party, but it's not. Is it balanced? Well, no, because but that's a hell of an awesome character, right? So anyway. All right. So you know we've been going on for a little bit here. Why don't we get to the final thoughts? What are you? What's your last advice for party balance, handling party imbalance, and do you think this is confirmed, busted, plausible, or inconclusive? I'm gonna say it's busted. I would take in consideration how tight you run the issues surrounding. Um, who, what classes are in your party based on how often you're playing and where you want to set the difficulty level. I think a lot of things, like we said, uh, can be worked around, but you, you have to really, I think Dave had a fantastic idea about the session zero, and we have to really give everybody that chance to be individuals. I think that's the most important part. If you have four fighters, please explain to me why and how these are going to be four very distinctive, interesting characters, and they're not just the dwarves from Lord of the Rings who are all just blended together into one super long dwarf, like a hot, like a dachshund. Here comes well, the hate my name from Lord of the Rings fans. My name's Gimli. My name's Dimly. My name's Bimly. Well, you can't just change the first letter, guys. I need a more. I need. <laughs> I more. read the similar. But I have a white like, I don't beard. Want to hear about that Tolkien fan. I lost my, like 20 sanity points for finishing that book. <laughs> but my mustache is just into sideburns. There's no beard. It's very different. I uh, really feel your character talking about. I think that this is actually an interesting thing where the myth came from something that was probably to a point maybe more uh, more plausible in the early days. Like we talked about where uh, the classes did not overlap. They were much more limited in what they could do, that type of thing, you know, where something like Thief was the only person that could like sneak and pick locks and, and do all this kind of stuff. Whereas now, like we said, it is literally baked into the design of the system, the balance. So you don't even have to think about it, regardless of what you pick. Um, I also think there's a level of a romantic ideal to the balanced party and and the, the writer, fighter rogue, Claire, the gauntlet, right? Gauntlet, the video game. That's literally like the, the, the idea of party balance. Yeah, where you all have a color and you all have, you know. Um, I mean, and you want your wrestling, right? You want your, uh, you want these characters yeah. who can fit these old archetypes. That's true too, yeah. Like the Dragonlance idea, right? But even with that, I wouldn't say it was necessarily a, a, a necessarily a, well, no, I guess it was kind of a balanced party, yeah. Because Gold Moon would have been, Anyway, um, that's a whole different rabbit hole. Uh, but no, I think it's busted. I think it, I think the myth is at this point busted because if especially if we're talking D&D, the system itself has already created an enormous amount of balance that's just behind the curtain. But as we said, even in some of the other systems, you can adjust it. So the idea of party balance is only if 
I'm playing it this way, and that's the way it's going to be. So if you guys didn't bring a cleric, that's too bad, because I'm playing it on kill mode, and there's no potions of healing anywhere in this world. Like, <laughs> you know, you're just going to be a dick DM. Well, that's my, that might not be a myth for you, then. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to say you better, you better have some players who love a challenge. <laughs> that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, and for me... Um, you know, there's t I think as we've talked, we've really surfaced the two sides to this issue. From the DM point of view, does your party need to be balanced? No. That is a myth. We've we've thoroughly busted it. Uh, in fact, actually, I don't know. Guys, you having this too? As we're talking about this, I'm sitting over here like, oh, man, that could be such a cool campaign to have like four priests or like three priests and a paladin from the same religious order. And like they're taking the holy, like they're taking their holy flame to be relit at like the temple like, on the other side of the world. It, yeah, yeah that, that'd be neat. Every, Arthur, every Arthurian uh, tale is a bunch of fucking paladins running around. Yeah. <laughs> poorly. It. Poorly, too. Yeah, poorly. Well, I wouldn't say all that crew was paladins. I mean, uh, <laughs> if you read uh, you, that book. There's a few fallen paladins. Maybe they're not all, right. all actively enjoying fighters. the benefits of their lord's love, but still. They're like the National Guard of Paladins. I mean, maybe. <laughs> So, I mean, even as we're talking about it, I'm like, there are epic adventures to be had in blatantly unbalanced parties. I mean, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you mentioned the turtle, right? I mean, dude, four turtle monks, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, people talk about it online. That sounds like fun to me. I'll oh, do that. Yeah. Maybe more of a medieval sewer, you know, maybe, maybe Shredder is... Uh... <laughs> I mean, that's horrifying. <laughs> that's like something Lovecraft would have written about a medieval sewer. <laughs> So I, I think from the DM point of view, it not only is this busted, but it's tempting. I'm like, all right, let's do these. Like that, that's, this sounds like fun. And then just, you need to, cause you know, it's not just that you can adjust. It's that you're going to have to adjust anyway. And if you don't come into the game, understanding that you're going to run into other problems. Like it's not just, I can adjust to account for the unbalanced party. Is that balanced, unbalanced? I'm going to need to adjust no matter what the players do. So it's better the players have fun with characters they want to play. Having said that, you know, we are surfacing that the, the players sometimes have an issue with it. And that's maybe the trickier thing. No matter what the players bring to the game, you have to make sure that one, they feel like they're going to have a shot. Like they can't, you can't let their heads run away with, oh man, this is going to suck. We can't deal with anything. He's just going to do this and wipe us out. I mean, as a DM, you know, you could wipe them out anyway. It's kind of not the point, but the players sometimes, sometimes you need to handle that aspect of what the players are experiencing and make sure it's clear to them why this isn't going to be a problem. I will tell you from experience, that's hard to do. I've had times when I've told players exactly why it was going to be a problem and they still had an issue and still didn't want to play it. Uh, and the other thing is making sure that, every player's, you know, giving every player a chance to shine. Like Tony, like you were saying, you've got to make sure the characters stand out, even if their skill sets don't. You know, every every character's got to be unique and have their moment in the sun, even if the skills don't show that. That's the harder part of it. As a DM, mechanically, no problem. Politically, keeping your players happy and making sure they are happy mm -hmm. in the party they're in, that's the tricky part. As so many things are. I mean, really, it's the player dynamics. It's the group dynamic that's the hardest part of managing any of these things. Although you could argue, again, that you're going to have to manage that anyway, balanced party or not. Regardless. Just, regardless. Yeah. And good luck showing me a balanced party that's actually going to play in a balanced way. Like, right? last uh, last time I checked, we rolled these things called dice that constantly fuck you. So <laughs> there goes your balance right out the window. Okay? Not only that, you know, I mean, one of the things that's come up many times is like the different skill levels. Is it a balanced party if some of the players are playing at a different skill level than others? You know, oh, you run into right. that. Exactly. Yeah. You, yeah. You if they don't know. Argue, how to play the class 
that well, then it's not balanced anyway. Right? You can kind of argue that's what's going on in the in the Curse of Strahd game. We have a cleric who doesn't know the cleric has to, or doesn't know or care. Or or, first, yeah, it's not a, a priority. Who's playing the cleric for the first time and kind of working out? Okay, what are all these things that are you know? So yeah, going to play so very differently. You're going to have these issues no matter what, no matter what classes and skills they bring. So yeah, just be ready for that. You know, you're going to need to uh, bridge some gaps and win some players over. I think that's really myth busted. But that doesn't mean it's uh doesn't mean that the heat's off. You still got to deal with these things. And it's still go, it's still out there. Yeah, avoid those gotcha moments because of it. Definitely, definitely avoid those gotcha moments. Or if you roll them out, make sure you make the point and get the party away out of them. The party's got to learn something and then enjoy beating it in the end, rather than just get stuck for the sake of them getting stuck. And you know, because 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 yeah, no one wins. It's that meme, you know. If your party can't advance, you're not going to have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys thanks hey, there's been a lot of fun talking about this thanks a lot for uh for, for doing another episode here bringing really? all our wisdom about balanced and unbalanced parties it was a very balanced discussion too if i thought <laughs> from right. from such unbalanced minds it always yes. <laughs> true and thank you all for listening in at home uh, this has been another episode of three wise dms even here as you heard we got some some listener input so if you have anything you'd like to hear us discuss if you have anything that, that you think would be just a good topic or that a question we can help you with please send it in you can send it to three wise dms at gmail.com or you can go to our website three wise dms.com and enter it in the what's your problem field or like our buddy luke who, who who brought us this who we talked about that was his take that the unbalanced parties are more of a problem you just do like he did and comment on our facebook or instagram or our twitter we're really active in all in all three of those social media spaces so you you can find us there, talk to us there, like and share our stuff. And if you do like what you're listening to, please give us a five-star review on your podcast platform. You know, leave some nice words in the review, share it with your friends. We've been growing great. And we really appreciate all the support you've given us. You're helping us spread the word and uh, that means a lot to us. So, so thank you. And we'll catch you next time on Three Wise DMs.